Um, the regions from Acts chapter 10, um, starting from verse 1, and that's on page 1103 of the Church Bibles. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its five corners. It contained all, all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Go get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion, he is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to him, to his house, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Good evening. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to speak this evening. And thank you to you as a congregation for your partnership in the gospel over the years as you have supported and prayed for uh, mission partners and the wider work of uh, OMF. Uh, thank you particularly for standing with uh, Charles and Liz Chalmers. We had a really good day yesterday uh, just uh, acknowledging God's faithfulness uh, to and through them in their, in their ministry over the years and also in uh, praying for Nat Ealing as he takes up the role of area, area representative for OMF in Wales and West England. 
So, yeah, I, I am co-national director of OMF UK. It's a role I share with my wife, Christine. Uh, we've been with OMF for 25 years. Uh, for 11 of those years, uh, we worked in uh, East Asia, uh, about a decade in Malaysia. Uh, we were involved in theological education in East and West Malaysia. And way before that, uh, I was an evangelist with the Londonderry Presbyterian City Mission. That just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? And uh, had some time working also for a different mission in Central Asia, in a place called Uzbekistan. And my journey and mission over the years has had quite a few twists and turns, but I think, I think that's quite normal, really. Uh, it's quite normal in life, never mind just mission. Um, and actually, the book of Acts... It's a great encouragement to those of us who have ended up doing stuff that we never really intended doing in the first place. You set out thinking, I'm going to do this, and you end up doing something completely different. And in fact, one writer points out that in the book of Acts, almost no one is doing what they want to do. The Spirit of God is pressing every disciple to do precisely what God wants done and not what they might envision. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And this is certainly true for the two individuals that we'll be thinking about this evening, um, Peter and Cornelius. And um, there are two things, two aspects that I just want to highlight this evening. The first is, it's about moving out of our comfort zone and how that creates opportunities for gospel encounters. And then secondly, how gospel encounters provide opportunities to demonstrate radical reconciliation. So mission is all about encounter. And this is local, it's global, it's across the street, across the world, could be in in the workplace, in the home, in the community, across the street with a neighbor tomorrow. It's about encounter. It's about people encountering one another and surprising, unexpected, and at times uncomfortable, but ultimately transformative encounters. They're often featured here in the book of Acts. Luke, he, he seems to want to draw attention to encounters that are really quite surprising and uncomfortable and unexpected. And he gives a lot of space to this encounter. It takes up almost two whole chapters in his book between two people who wouldn't normally encounter each other, Peter and Cornelius. In a book published quite a number of years ago now called The Go-Between God, the author John V. Taylor He writes about the unpredictability that we face when working with God. Mission, he said, is often described as if it were the planned extension of an old building. But in fact, it has usually been more like an unexpected explosion. We should have had that. We should have had the modesty, he says, to recognize that the breath of God has always played a far more decisive part than our human strategy. And I, I wrestle at times as a leader in a mission organization. We, we are, well, my job description says I'm supposed to give strategic leadership. Do, do you have conversations about strategy in your church? 
And then you come and you read the book of Acts and you, you try and figure out, well, actually, what, what strategy were they working to here? Because, like I said at the start, it sounds like people might have had plans and strategies, but then they usually end up not doing the stuff they set out to do in the first place. So where does strategy come in? Before I get into trouble with church leadership, I, I, I do think there is a place for thinking about what we do, reflecting and planning and strategizing. But I think you've got to hold it lightly, don't you? And you've got to leave room for God to come in with a, yeah, an unexpected explosion to just shake up our plans and bring something different to the table and we see the hand of God at work. Well, the unexpected explosion comes to Peter in the form of a, of a vision here in chapter 10. And Peter in this chapter is, well, he's not portrayed really as an eager missionary, is he? He's very reluctant. And the repeated response in chapter 10 to God is, surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord. And, and so God has to push Peter to realize how the good news of peace that Peter ends up preaching in chapter 10, verse 36. It is for all people, everywhere, no matter who they are, without anyone having to become a Jew first. So Peter is really pushed to realize that God's kingdom was always intended to be a multicultural kingdom that God is willing to come into the lives and cultures of all people. We are part of a great multicultural global family. So many people have gathered today around this globe to worship the living and true God and to praise him for his son, the Lord Jesus, and the gospel that has embraced us into this kingdom community. It's an incredible thing. And increasingly, we get a taste of that in our own communities, don't we? Even in this church, even in this congregation this evening, something of that globalness to our faith and what it means to be gospel people, people from different walks of life and different cultures and ethnicities. So how does God create that openness in Peter so that he recognizes this new reality? Well, he gets Peter to do three things. First of all, Peter listens. When when the messengers from Cornelius arrive at Simon the Tanner's house in verse 21, Peter goes downstairs and says to them, I'm the one you're looking for. And then he asks a question. Why have you come? And then he listens patiently as they explain in verse 22. Listening is such an important, powerful, deep activity to engage in. And I don't think, I don't don't do that well. I don't think that uh, Christians, uh, even missionaries, always do that well. We are people driven to proclaim something, to get a message across, and to share something, and that's great. 
But actually, you know, before we get into the detail of what we need to say, we need to do some listening. We need to have a deep understanding of the context we're working in, the people who are in front of us, and we need to listen. It's a core aspect of any kind of authentic witness, whether it's across the street or, in a, on a, or a missionary context thousands of miles away. And there are lots of ways that we can um, listen to individuals uh, and to the communities that we live in. But it always begins with making time for other people and not being in a rush to give our opinion and our answers, but to first of all make space and time to listen with patience. And in that space, we discern how to speak with gospel hope and with gospel love and with gospel peace. And listening, it's not just about listening to individuals, to the people that we encounter. We also need to be listening to what's happening in the culture and society around us. And that's really important when we go to serve in in cultures and societies that we're not familiar with. But even in the ones that we are familiar with, we probably need to do some hard listening. We're living in fast-changing times. We need to try and understand our own culture. And we need, to, we need people in our congregations who can help us think about societal trends and how do we speak and act as, as gospel people, like the lady who's coming to talk about bodies. That's the sort of thing that we need to engage with. Many years ago, uh, when I first left uh, Northern Ireland to, uh, to come to a Bible college in England, um, I grew up in Derry. I grew up in Derry in the 1970s, 1980s, or Londonderry, or Legendary, if you want to put it like that. Um, and I, I did grow up in a, I suppose quite a unique thing at that time, I grew up in a mixed street, meaning uh, some of my friends were Catholics and some of them were Protestants. There was a mixed street. But I, having grown up there for you know, 20 years and then going to Bible college, a place called Moorlands, first of all, down in the south coast. Um, I, I don't think I really uh, understood um, my neighbours and my friends and the people I worked with in, in Northern Ireland. And I remember um, our New Testament tutor at that Bible college, his wife was from, was from Donegal. And so he, he knew something of my background. He knew the sort of context I'd grown up in. And he knew that I was going back to, uh, to work for the Londonderry Presbyterian City Mission. And he said to me, Peter, you know, if you, if you want to understand the people you're going to be ministering among, you go and read Walter Magan's trilogy. All right. I said, I'd, I'd, no, I'd, no, uh, I'd no intention of reading Walter Magan's trilogy. I'd never heard of Walter Magan. Have you ever heard of Walter Magan? He was a Galway playwright, novelist. If you're English, go and read Walter Mackin's trilogy. I'm serious. The first one is set in the time of Cromwell. The second one is set in the time of the Irish famine. The third one is set in the time of the Easter Rebellion. I never read them. I did my thing as an evangelist. 
And uh, the Lord did put me into uh, context predominantly uh, where I was sharing the gospel and working with people from a Catholic background. The Protestants in Derry were as hard as nails, didn't want to know. But, but my, my, my fellow Derry people from, from the Catholic backgrounds invited me into kitchens up and down streets where I knocked on doors. And um, only many years later, actually, when I had joined OMF and was sitting 6,000 miles away in East Asia, did I think about Walter Mackin. And I started reading these three novels. And I thought, I wish I had listened to my New Testament tutor because those three novels would have helped me listen better and share the gospel with my Catholic neighbors. There are things that you can do to listen deeply that will enable us to minister more authentically. So, secondly, Peter welcomes. He welcomes the Gentile visitors, look at verse 23, into the house. Actually, what's really funny here is that Peter invites them in for a meal and to stay the night in a house that isn't his. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> but, you know, he, here is the thing to notice. All through the Bible, significant things happen in the closeness of hospitality, in the intimacy of a meal together. That's where stuff happens in the Bible. And that's still where stuff happens when we invite people to come for a meal, when we sit down at a table and we share together. Here is something uh, Willie James Jennings says. This faith that must be shared demands a sharing of life in the beautifully mundane realities of eating together and sharing common space. That's so often the case in in East Asia, so many of our encounters and conversations and contexts to learn were in the context of sitting at a meal table, being invited into an open house at the end of Ramadan or a Chinese New Year in Malaysia. <coughs> Special times around a table. But we can do that here too, to open up our homes, open up our churches, see the value in hospitality and allow the Holy Spirit to work in that context. In fact, uh, just the other day, I, I came across this. Um, there's, a, there's a prayer guide that's uh, being used uh, within OMF and elsewhere on, uh, for Ramadan. And uh, week one had this little account here uh, of... Uh, it's set in China... And um, the, 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 the people who are involved in the ministry here are from a Chinese background. And they write, By chance, I found out we had a Muslim family who moved from China's northwest region in our neighborhood WeChat group. So this is in a city in China. Being not very fluent in Mandarin, the family had had some language difficulties. They were struggling with online shopping and ordering groceries in the group chat. They also felt their new local community didn't understand their religious practices. For example, why they could not order the same meat as the others. In fact, the household of six faced the dilemma of running out of food. 
When I learned this, I quickly contacted a few friends. Together, we donated 50 kilos of flour, some halal beef and mutton. Touched by this, the Muslim family's father replied, you are truly a godsend. After COVID lockdown, you are welcome to come to our restaurant and eat for free. (laughs) Hospitality. Sharing food. Sharing meals together. And see, this is often where we get to know one another and where stereotypes and prejudices are dismantled. And so for Peter, it is his It is his theological categories that are dismantled and then rearranged and realigned with God's uh, purposes and God's agenda and what he's doing in the world. And you and I and our churches, we need to be open, don't we, to fresh understandings of what it means to live faithfully to the gospel. We need the Spirit to open our eyes to see people from God's perspective, just the way God did with Peter in relation to Cornelius, and then to discern the opportunities that he is giving us for kingdom witness. We've got to do that as individuals. We've got to do that as church communities. How are we going to engage with the people across the street who don't know what the gospel is, who don't know who Jesus is? Who in this congregation is sensing the call of God to engage in mission locally and globally? And what what theological wrestling do we need to do to be better equipped to share the gospel across the street and across the world? So Peter, he listens. Peter, he welcomes. But Peter has to do something. He has to go. So Peter is told to go into Cornelius's space, into Cornelius's world and context. Now, very often in our evangelism, uh, we expect people to come into our space, into our church, and engage with us on our terms. But Acts chapter 10 challenges us to be prepared to go and enter uncomfortable and unfamiliar spaces, to take risks and engage with people who are different from us, but in whom God is at work. Peter is prepared to engage with the context of his listeners, to speak with bold faithfulness and relevance, with conviction and sensitivity. We need that balance and there's something here, I think, for us to reflect on in terms of our, of our approach to sharing our faith, how we relate to others, and what characterizes our way of engaging with the world around us. Here is a, here's a quotation from Harvey Kahn. Harvey Kahn was a, a Presbyterian missionary in South Korea in the 1960s and 70s, and then he taught urban mission at a seminary in the States for quite a number of years. And um, he challenged the American church with these words. This was back in the, I think, the early 1980s. He wrote, For too long, evangelical white churches in the U.S. have had a cum structure. 
One cannot be a missionary church and continue insisting that the world must come to the church on the church's terms. It must become a go structure. And it can only do that when its concerns are directed outside itself toward the poor, the abused, and the oppressed. The church must recapture its identity as the only organization in the world that exists for the sake of its non-members. And when we remember that as congregations, that will, that will keep our vision fresh. That will keep us mobilized as a missionary congregation. That will encourage us, encourage us to be looking out for individuals in the congregation who have the gifts of ministry to serve in cross-cultural situations. There's good work that can be done by people coming in here. Don't get me wrong. But unless we have that focus, that global focus and that outside focus, and remembering that the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the sake of its known members, if we forget that and we only start serving our, ourselves and our own agenda, we will not be the missional people we're called to be. More recently, and, and applied to the UK situation, is this book. I find this book interesting and challenging. Uh, David Mail and Paul Weston's book, The Words Out, Speaking the Gospel Today. And in one of their chapters, they, they write, if your local church were to send a missionary to plant a church in Southeast Asia, and they started something that looked very much like your home church, what would you think? It would be crazy in an overseas missionary situation. Yet, we are in danger of continuing to replicate a church that is not connecting with the majority of the population in our own country. They go on to say, we need more churches that are not content simply to contain the faithful or only to attract those who are dissatisfied with provisions elsewhere. We need to develop Church that can connect, churches that can connect with people way outside the orbit of the church. We have more than enough safety net churches for our present numbers. What we need are more fishing nets. Hmm. That could be a good discussion uh, uh, quotation for later after the service. So let me ask you this, this evening do you operate with a cum structure? Or a go structure? Hmm. Are you willing to leave individually and congregationally your comfort zone and to accept new people, different people, people you'd not imagine God would send across your path and into your life? Are you prepared for that, uh, that, uh, that explosion? <laughs> in your heart, where God lays something on your heart and says, I want you to go to such and such a place, to such and such a people, and lays a passion for the gospel on your heart for people where there is very little gospel witness and hardly any church. Are you prepared to enter that kind of... Are you, are you prepared to entertain that thought tonight? That, that God might put an explosion in your heart by the work of His Spirit and say, this gospel that you've been singing about, reading about, saying yes to, in the comfort of Highfield's congregation on a Sunday evening, are you prepared to take that passion and that gospel to the ends of the earth? 
Well, Peter goes into Cornelius' home, and he allows himself to be invited into the space of the other. And that is a step of obedience, but it's also a step of great vulnerability. Because Peter is allowing himself to encounter an environment that he would not have been open to encountering before in his whole life, entering a Gentile space, receiving the hospitality from Gentiles. In fact, you see, in this chapter, there's a double conversion going on. Cornelius and Peter are changed. Cornelius comes to a living faith in the Lord Jesus. But before Peter was able to lead Cornelius and his family to faith in Christ, Peter first himself had to undergo a cultural conversion. He needed to be converted cross-culturally so that God could use him effectively in cross-cultural outreach in a Gentile world. Today, we are like Peter. We, we, we need to have the blinkers of our own culture removed so that we can understand the people around us much better. We need to undergo that kind of conversion, perhaps, to see things differently, to see things through God's perspective, with God's perspective, the people and the context around us. And so perhaps there are people here who have come more recently to the UK and, and you feel you are now immersed in a very strange culture and there are lots of things being deconstructed in your life and reconstructed as you try to organize life all over again. But, you know, in that space of readjustment, if, if you're like that, if you've come from somewhere else and you're setting up life in, 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 in Cardiff, in this space of readjustment, well, God is at work in your life. And he's preparing you to be a blessing in this very different cultural context. For Peter, he had to realize that God doesn't show favoritism. And so Peter's theological paradigm of segregation had to be blown apart. He discovers, as Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, that um, Jesus is our peace. Wow. Jesus is our peace. (laughs) Jesus is our peace and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, to create in himself one new humanity, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. In these spaces of vulnerability, in these new places that God puts us, we begin to see things differently, and we begin to see gospel truths that are powerful and deep and at work in our lives and in our relationships. For Peter, this is what began to happen in his life. This verse began to become a reality. Gospel peace breaking down barriers, new relationships established, seeing God at work in new ways, seeing lives transformed, Cornelius and his family. Wow! These are the things that can happen in those vulnerable spaces that we find ourselves in, those liminal times in our lives, those in-between situations, and we wonder what's going on. And in those situations, being open to what God is saying and being open to God's Word and how it works in our lives creates gospel encounters, creates opportunities for transformation. And finally, the second point is this one. Gospel encounters like this provide opportunities 
to demonstrate radical reconciliation. So this, this surprising, uncomfortable, unorthodox encounter between Peter and Cornelius, it leads to transformation of both men, and it leads to a profound reconciliation, the kind of which our world, our own country, needs to see much more among followers of Jesus today. Look at verse 48. It's very easy to just read past this. This this is a brief statement that we can too easily miss. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Remember the context here. Peter, in a Gentile space, they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And the authors, Howard Peskett and Vinoth Ramachandra, they write, here we are introduced to a stupendous sight, unimaginable in the ancient world, of a Jewish peasant under the same roof as a Roman's, Roman military officer. Wow. Peter stayed in the house of a Gentile who was an officer of the army that was occupying his own native land. He went into the house of an officer of the empire that oppressed his people with heavy taxes. And Peter was able to do that. Why? Because the power of the same gospel that brings about repentance that leads to life, chapter 11, verse 18, is the gospel that brings reconciliation in a broken world among broken people. And and this is all part of the good news of peace that Peter preached in the home of Cornelius in chapter 10, verse 36. A couple of years ago, I was at an OMF gathering, and OMF leaders were about to, to, to have communion together. And the leaders who were leading the communion um, were asked the question, what does the gospel mean for you? And a South Korean brother He spoke up and he responded and said, the gospel for me means Chinese, Korean, and Japanese serving together for the sake of the gospel in the same organization. Now, when we know the histories of those countries, China, Japan, Korea, that in itself is a radical statement for that brother to make. Years ago, when I was an evangelist back in Derry, I, I used to work with uh, a guy who had come to faith in prison from a Catholic background and, and from an IRA background. And he and I used to do work at the weekends among young people and some older folk who sat around the walls in Derry at the weekends uh, drinking and just wasting their time. And in, in the hostel where this guy worked, we would, we would cook some chili and we would uh, take soup and stuff to the walls and we would give out food and just mix with people and share the gospel. And in the summertime, we would have barbecues just overlooking the bog side in, in Derry. And one summer's evening... Uh, as a group of young people and us were having this barbecue on the walls, a British Army patrol came down uh, uh, past us. And those young soldiers who came past us were just treated with a load of abuse 
and uh, drinks cans thrown at them. And it was, it was pretty nasty. And the soldiers couldn't do anything. These were just teenagers mostly. And they just walked through that abuse and on with their patrol. Later that evening, as we were going back to our car, my friends Sean and I saw the same group of soldiers. Sean crossed the road with me and he stopped the lead soldier and he said, I'm really sorry about what happened earlier in that barbecue. And the soldier began to ask, well, what were you doing there and who are you? So Sean said, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and I, I got saved in prison. I used to be in the IRA, but the Lord changed my life. And this is my friend Peter. And I said, I'm Peter, and I'm from a Protestant background. I come from the waterside, and me and Sean do this every week. The soldier just looked at us. And this Englishman, this poor guy, he, he had no idea. How could these two, this young guy and this, this older man, they just don't look like they should be, get, be together. And their background and their stories are so far apart. What is it that brings you together? Well, Sean shared the gospel with him. And you see, this is the self-authenticating power of the gospel that brings people together from totally different walks of life, that transcends the barriers that our societies and our world really struggles to kind of get, get, get over. But the gospel transforms people. It transcends culture, all the big barriers of society and gender and so on. The gospel has something powerful to say and transform in our world today. And being reconciled, and living that out and demonstrating that, whether it's in Cardiff or Kuala Lumpur, is something powerful and something we need to work on. Because unless we can demonstrate that reconciliation that's at the heart of the gospel, our credibility as evangelists and preachers of the gospel is called into question. So as I finish then, all over the world, people are searching for peace and longing for authentic reconciliation. It's at the very heart of the gospel we profess, and it should be at the very heart of the church communities that we belong to. Christian mission involves demonstrating this radical reconciliation so that the outside world looks at you and me and asks, how is it possible that people from different cultures, ethnicities, different political points of view, and different walks of life can worship and serve and witness and eat together? Ah, that's the gospel. Will you take this gospel to the nations? Will you take it into your places tomorrow? Will you be open to that explosion in your heart from the Holy Spirit that says, are you ready to go to wherever it could be to share this gospel? Let me leave that challenge with you. And let's prayerfully reflect on these questions. Are you prepared for the unexpected encounters that God may bring into your life this week? Hmm. Are you prepared to hear God's word in the life of someone you didn't expect had any connection with God? Maybe God will bring Cornelius into your life this week. Are we prepared to listen more, to welcome the stranger, and are we willing to go out of our comfort zones and into the places and among the people where the gospel of peace and reconciliation needs to take root and flourish to bring new life and transform relationships. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that your word would remain in our hearts 
so that we would be people in step with your Spirit and prepared for those gospel encounters that you might bring into our lives over these coming days. We ask, Lord, that we would be those who are ready to respond. And I pray for this church. Thank you so much for its mission-mindedness and for the congregation here that have extended, extended its witness over the years across the street and across the world. Continue to make Highfields a blessing to the nations. To the glory of your name. Amen.